Welcome to The Bee Podcast. The mission of The Bee is to create an inspiring platform for all women of every age group to have meaningful conversations with the intent to genuinely understand each other's journey, to listen to stories similar and different than our own, engage in each other's triumphs and failures, hear and validate one another on the separate unique journeys we have traveled, the loss we have endured, the joy we have encountered, and the reason behind the lessons we have learned. Bees symbolize community, personal growth, and power. And that is what we aim to do here. Create community, foster growth, and empower women. I'm Cami Milliken, and this is The Bee Podcast. Welcome to the final episode of The Bee Podcast for the 2020 year. I am thrilled to have been fortunate enough to pursue this dream of mine, and I'm overwhelmed by your generosity and supporting this vision. There is truly something magical about vulnerability, honesty, and open hearts. Thank you for helping to create this community, foster growth, and empower women. Today, just in time for Christmas, on this final episode of Season 1, Avery Buell shares her journey to finding faith and taking it on for herself. Having grown up in the church, taking time for God seemed to be only a thing of habit, not a true connection. As a young adult finding her place in life, she knew she needed to make the jump from obligation to desire to follow her faith. Listen in here. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Today, we have Avery Buell here. She's a pregnant woman, not to be pregnant for very much longer. Probably by the time this airs, you won't be pregnant anymore, I'm certain. Probably not, no. (laughs) Yeah. So how are you? Thank you so much for being here. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Avery, go ahead and start off by just telling us a little bit about who you are. Well, like you said, I'm uber pregnant. (laughs) I'm actually 29 weeks today, so in 11 weeks... She will be here. Oh my goodness. But I live in Carlisle um, with my husband and my super great dog. And we love it very, very much. We both teach at Carlisle. Um, I teach at elementary and he teaches at high school. So I didn't know that he was a teacher as well. Yes, he teaches social studies. Fantastic. Okay, proceed. So sorry. And he's the head, he's the head boys coach here. um, The boys basketball coach. So. Oh, perfect. Wonderful. But yeah, I teach special education at Carlisle, so I work with kiddos. Um, we have a really big elementary, so we're, we're pre-K-3, but I work with K-3 kiddos um, who have like uh, behavior needs, um, social emotional needs, and I love every second of it. So Yeah, and you have such a perfect per- personality and demeanor for that profession, so I'm certain that they are thankful to have you. Absolutely. I enjoy it a lot, so. Awesome. Okay. Well, Avery is going to share with us today her uh, journey in faith and what that looks like for her now. And so Avery, let's just start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about your childhood growing up, what your childhood looked like. Um, so I had, I had a great childhood. I had two very, very supportive parents and I have a brother who's just a, a, a few years younger than me who actually just got married. So I had a great childhood in the, in the way that it was also unique to like my parents got divorced when I was five, um, but then they got remarried when I was 16. So they were separated for 11 years. So that's kind of interesting, but it also has a huge part of who I am today and why I am the way that I am today. And most of my childhood was spent traveling for sports. I was always active in basketball, mostly volleyball, just always around playing sports. So that's kind of my childhood and gist really. Well, and I think it's really unique that your parents were together and then they separated and they got back together. So can you talk a little bit about what that was like for you during the separation part? Yeah. So really, I, people ask me that a lot and I don't, it's kind of a, it's, you think like it would be an easy question, but like, it's kind of a difficult question because I, oh, I never remember. It always felt like they were still together because my dad was always I mean, they didn't live together. So like I had two separate households, you know, I lived with my mom the majority of the time. And my dad, you know, he was in a tumble for a little bit, but then he was also traveling for work. So he was based out of Des Moines for a while. And then he was working on stuff in Minneapolis. And then he was working in Kansas city um, for multiple years. Um, And so I would just see him on the weekends and we would talk during the week all the time, but it was almost just like my dad was gone working during the week. And then I saw him every weekend. He was always at every sporting event. Um, He was always around for every holiday. So it was, it just seemed normal to me and to my brother. And it didn't really start to hit me that it was like kind of not normal until I was like older. 
and I real started to realize that like, oh, they're really not together. Like they don't do like things that other families do and other parents do. Like they're they're divorced, and so they're just. We were. I was fortunate enough, and they were fortunate enough that we just had such a good relationship as a family. And my parents still had a good relationship, and my dad had such a good relationship with my mom's parents that it just never seemed never seemed that odd really. Yeah. So you felt supported by both parents and both the sets of grandparents. And yeah, that's fascinating and very cool that they ended up back together. So that's. And also like in my line of work, like if I like reflect back on that, like that's typically like divorced parents and like never seen, like that's like a trauma for a lot of kids. And like, for me, like it's probably been a trauma in my life in some aspect, but not one that I could like say like, this really, really affected me in a negative way in my life. And so I feel super fortunate that that is not how it ended up. So awesome. That's fantastic. So then talk a little bit about your favorite memories that you had as a childhood. What were your favorites? I always just, I loved holidays with my family. We really, it's, it's even hard for me now being married and like having to share holidays. It's really, really difficult because my favorite and most cherished memories are holidays with my family because it would be, you know, my mom has two sisters. And so it'd be our family, her two sisters, family, and then her parents. So my grandparents, and there were seven of us cousins and we would just, I mean, every Christmas, Thanksgiving, we were always together out at my grandparents. They live in this huge house on this beautiful land in Blakesburg. And so we always just really did holidays really big. And that's a huge part of my childhood and what I remember. And then also just like traveling for sports. I have so many memories of meeting new friends and I'm still connected with a lot of people that I met um, playing basketball who I didn't go to high school with or weren't even around the same area as I. And then those friendships have kind of developed. And, you know, one of my best college friends is actually we met each other through playing travel basketball and then ended up at the same college together. And so I have a lot of good memories there. And then I feel like I had good friends in high school too. And we always did big events together. So like homecoming was always really big. We always dressed up and did something cool. The paint pants or the sweat paint, cut sweatpants and shirts. And we did a lot of stuff for like in middle school when dances were big, we did a lot of like weird outfits for dances. Mm -hmm. And so I have a lot of memories doing a lot of like group things with a lot of different people. So, and that's so important to a healthy childhood is having those relationships and building on that. I was very social. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So then did you grow up in the church? Yes, I did. So we, I grew up, I don't, um, there's lots of churches in the Tumwa. That's the truth. But I grew up going to, it was called the church. It is still called the church. Very, uh, unique, very creative. (laughs) And it's at the, like, where Knights of Columbus is right behind Knights of, the li- Knights of Columbus in the library. So that little um, limestone church that sits back there, that's where I grew up ever since we moved to, moved to Atumwa when I was three. And so I was there every Sunday, every Sunday night, Wednesday, I mean, like clockwork. So. Yeah. So what was your experience like in the church growing up? Was it, would you say that it was a positive experience? I would, I would, I would say that it was positive. I was super super active in youth group, church camp, VBS, especially when I was younger. And then when I was older, when I wasn't busy with sports in school, I was, I would help with youth camp and all of those things. And um, I feel like I had a good experience because I also, my parents were super involved too. So like they're, they're true, just servant, they have servant hearts. And so I kind of got to be around and be a part of that. And, but yeah, it was, Overall, it was a really good experience. So, And as we grow, I think, I know in a previous conversation, we kind of talked about youth group. And so um, in the Christian church, if um, if you're not familiar with the uh, Protestant setup, I'm sh- certain that each denomination or each, um, each faith group has different ways in which they disciple young people. But in the Christian church, in the Protestant church, we have a, a youth group and that is it's dedicated to kids who are, is it sixth grade or seventh grade? It's like middle school and older yeah. through high school. I think it was sixth. Well, I, I honestly can't remember because when I was in elementary school, sixth grade was still elementary. Same. And they had, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so like, yeah, I don't know. Right. I wonder how they do that now. It's crazy. I know. <laughs> so then did you find yourself looking forward to having 
having that, that time where you would go with your friends and you would, you know, have like a Bible study or, um, or attend youth group? Sometimes yes. And sometimes not necessarily. Um, just because once I got into middle school, it became a little frustrating sometimes when I felt like I had to go to church or I had to do this youth group thing and my friends were doing something else that weren't necessarily involved in church or had the same beliefs as I would. And so I didn't ever really get a choice. It wasn't like, oh, would you rather go to youth group or would you rather go hang out with your friends? It was like, nope, we're going to youth group, especially on Wednesday night. Like I remember sometimes like if it was stuff scheduled on the weekends and things like that, my parents would, would give me a choice. But like if it was Wednesday night youth group and my friends were having something at their house, like it was Wednesday night youth group. Like it was just on Wednesday nights to go to church. So that's what we're going to do. So yeah, I enjoyed doing it when I felt like I had a choice in it. And when I didn't feel like I had so much of a choice in it and I felt like I was missing out on something mm-hmm. else, had some serious FOMO mm-hmm. as a kid, yeah. then it got, it started to get a little frustrating for sure. Yeah. I think that's true of anyone, you know, when you're given a choice about something, do you think that at that time, like as a junior high student or, you know, or high school, did you find yourself living a little bit differently because your family lived a little bit differently. Can you talk about some of the backlash or maybe some of the emotions that you experienced during that time? Yeah. So I feel like, and you'll kind of, you can kind of speak to this too, a little bit too, Cami, but like, I feel like in our faith and just in religion in general, whatever faith it is that you live by or believe you, there's always like an, like a higher expectation or like an added pressure or things that, Oh, we don't, we don't do that type of like attitude. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I laugh I think, because it's true. So yeah, sorry. No, keep going. So I think growing up when you're learn, like when you're learning and taking all of this in and like you have people model for you, like the, the choices you should be making and the lifestyle that you should be living and um, the way you should be treating people, like you want to be like that. And so for me, it was hard when I started to really, in middle school and high school, like, I started to really understand that, like, oh, this isn't, this isn't easy. Like, it's, it's not easy. And I am held to a higher expectation. And I do live my life a little bit different than my friends. But like, right now, like, do I want to? Like, I want to be doing what my friends are doing. And so it, it was hard to always buy into the, you know, the Christian way or um, being, as much like Jesus as I possibly could when it didn't necessarily align with all of the things that my friends and their families were doing, because that looked a lot more fun (laughs) than some of the stuff that I was not able to do. Right. Right. I mean, I can empathize with that. Did you at the time, like, I mean, growing up, you're watching, it is is always really enticing. Like when other, you know, when other kids are doing things that are like forbidden, like, you know, and so it seems like, oh, that's, I remember telling my parents, like, I wish you didn't love me so much. <laughs> like, sure. And my mom would just laugh uh-huh. at me like, <laughs> that's funny, Cammie. <laughs> so when you were in junior high and high school, did you find yourself at all? Um, did you feel like I need to do this because my parents hold me to the standard or do, am I doing this because I am held to the standard by a higher power being God in the Christian faith? I would say definitely more because my parents hold me to this standard. I think there were times where like my, like my morals would kind of come up and I'd start to feel a little like, like subconsciously I'd be like, really, this might not be a good idea, but like, Hey, everybody else is doing it or my friends are doing it or their parents said it was okay or stuff like that. But it was more, I was more concerned about what my parents were going to tell, say to me or their reaction than how I was going to make God feel about the decisions that I was making, if that makes sense. It does. And I think that for people who have grown up in the church, in, you know, the Christian, the Protestant church or the Catholic church, um, any Christian faith, I feel like that is a normal thing when we grow up with it. It just becomes a thing that like, you know, this is what our parents teach us and our parents are telling us these things, but we have yet to internalize it. And that can be kind of a little bit of a little bit of a bummer. Like, you know, like I didn't suffer from a drug addiction and then, you know, bam, my life was changed by Jesus. Some people don't have that story. So kids who grow up in the church might not necessarily have that light or that, that big story. So that can be, I think that can be really frustrating. Can you speak to that at all? 
And I think the fear too of like, I mean, I am a God fearing woman, but like the fear at that age, going through middle school and high school, my fear was what are my, what's going to happen to me? What are my parents going to do to me in this moment? If they find out what I am doing right now, or if they find out, I mean, just anything, it was more the immediate consequence that I was going to get rather than, Oh God, God is really disappointed in me right now. Or I need to, you know, ask for forgiveness and say like, help me, help me change the way I'm thinking or forgive me for this thing that I've done or whatever it is. It was more the immediate fear of what was going to happen. And too, like growing up in the church, you know that like people are not perfect, right? We're sinful beings. And so like God also knows that we're going to mess up. So it's kind of like, oh, well, well, God knows that I'm going to mess up and I know he still loves me and he'll forgive me in the end. But it's like, what are my parents going to do when they find out that I've done this thing? And it's so, and they're right there and you can see their facial expressions and there's so much more, they're more, more tangible um, than God is in that moment. And so it's, it was scarier if that's a good way to describe it. No, I think that that's a really effective way to describe it, especially if you've grown up in the church. It's it's just, you've, you know, been indoctrinated with all of the, the good things and the bad things and the do's and the don'ts. So, so yeah, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with that, Avery. <laughs> so then could you talk about how your life was different then? You kind of already hit on some of that, but if you have any stories or want to share, you know, specifically some more things of, on how your life was different, That'd be awesome. Yeah. It wasn't until I became more social that I realized that my family was like different. I guess I shouldn't say, and I don't mean different in a bad way, but like different from my friends' families or the way some of my friends' families live their life, or they didn't go to church or they did go to church or whatever. It wasn't, it wasn't until I became more social and I was around just people that lived differently and made different choices and whatever. And I'm not saying that I don't at all want people to think that they're bad people because they don't, they didn't go to church or anything like that, but just starting to notice that like, Oh, you, you don't go to church on Sunday. Like that's not, everybody doesn't do that. Like, and so it wasn't until I, we, I became more social as a kid that I started to realize that like, I am kind of out of the norm and my family is kind of out of the norm. You know, like we go out to eat at a restaurant, like we pray before we eat. Your family doesn't do that. Or my friends would come out and eat with us and, my parents would be like, okay, we're going to pray out at a restaurant. And my friends are like, wait, what? That's weird. And so when I, when I started to become more social and more involved in things outside of my home, like I just started to notice that like, we're kind of out of the norm in that. And so it, for girls, I mean, girls, my husband and I were just talking about this today uh, or not today, a few days ago, like girls just can be so mean. (laughs) Like we just are like, even if we're not trying to be mean, like we can be so mean. And so as I was growing up, like there was this like occasional mocking of like when I had to leave sleepovers early or I had to say, Oh, I can't do that. Cause it's, I have to go to church on Sunday or Truth. Mm-hmm. whatever the thing may have been. It could have been like, Oh, Avery's getting up and going to church again. Or, Oh, Avery, we probably couldn't ask Avery. Cause like, she'll have to leave early. Cause she'll have to go to church. And so it got, it again got frustrating because it's like, gosh, like, can there just be one weekend where I can just go and stay the whole weekend and I don't have to get up early for church. And in high school, when it was my responsibility to get myself to church, like how hard it was to like, once again, like my parents' expectation was that I was there. And so, gosh, can I deal with the wrath of my mom for missing on this day? Or is it just better just to go? And so like, there was just like that pull to like do it. But And it made me feel resentful at times, but at the same time, like after hanging out with my friends for so long and their families, it also just became an expectation. Like it was, okay, Avery gets up and leaves for church on Sundays. If we stay at Avery's on Saturday night, we either stay at the house by ourselves or we go to church with them. Like, and so when we go out to eat with Avery's family, like we pray before we eat, like that's my friends just got, they just knew that was the expectation. And I'm grateful for my parents for having that as the expectation because I think at first it makes people uncomfortable but then it just becomes a norm and it was just something that we did in our family so well and having growing and kind of figuring out how things what things look like for you and you know kind of having those friends and those relationships kind of progress I think that 
it is really nice when you do find like solid friends who understand and, you know, might think it's weird a little bit at times or at the beginning, but then learn to grow and appreciate it with you. So then Avery, as you grew, how did your relationship with Jesus change from feeling, you know, obligated to do things because your parents instilled this responsibility to um, love like Jesus? So how did that change for you? Um, I would say, I would almost argue that I didn't really have a true relationship with Jesus until recently. I think the best way to describe it is I really think I moved from identifying with the religion piece to having just a pure, like intimate, authentic relationship with Jesus. And um, it's something I'm still working on. Like I would say, like fairly recently within the last three to four years is when it kind of hit me that I was like, there's gotta be like, there's more to this. Like I need to be doing, I need to be more intentional about it. Like I can't keep thinking, what would my parents think? What would they do? Or what would they say to me? It needs to be like, what would Jesus say to me right now? Or what would he do if he were here talking to me, talking me through this or something like that? And so I had to really move from kind of the nuts and bolts of like the religion piece to actually building a really intimate and personal relationship with him. And so that's kind of how I've, how it's changed from three or four years ago till now. We had kind of talked about your junior high, high school experience, but then can we talk about your college experience as well? And how, you know, I think, you know, when we're on our own and we're responsible for, you know, ourselves, I think it can be also kind of eye-opening. So can you speak to some of your experiences that you had during college? Yeah. So I, like I said, I have wonderful parents <laughs> who are very supportive and were very involved in my life in, in every aspect of the word. And for something, and that is something that I'm so grateful for. And so when I say involved, I mean like when I went, when I knew I was going to Graceland, you know, I had signed to play basketball there and we were getting close. It was almost August. And my dad goes, Hey, we gotta go find you a church. And I was like, Okay, let's go. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> let's go find you a church. And so, oh, I love, love Brad. Yeah, Brad's, yep. So that's Brad Brad's in great. a nutshell. Um, and Bonnie, so <laughs> wonderful. So um, it was, you know, he got online and he started looking like churches in the area. And um, we had been up there, I think one weekend. And he was like, let's just go stop at this church. In, uh, and I think it was in Leon. So po- just podunk Iowa, like nothing around. Um, and it was called Trinity Christian. And He's like, I'm just going to go knock on the door and see if anybody's there. And I was like, okay, great. So just standing <laughs> at the preacher, like said, you know, my daughter's going to start going to Graceland. He's like, oh, we got a lot of Graceland people that come here. It was like, it was like maybe a 15 minute like trip from Lamoni. And he goes, okay, you can expect her on Sunday. <laughs> and I was like, yes, you can. And so like <laughs> most people would be like, wow, like that's too much. And at the time I was like, okay, dad, like, I can find my own church. Like I can figure it out. I'm in college now. Like I'm 18 years old. Like I can do this. I'm an adult now. (laughs) There is no chance that I would have put that effort in. And so like looking back, I was like, that was kind of annoying. It was a little too much. But like now looking back, it's like, no, like I'm so grateful. I had a parent that was willing to do that for me because I, I wouldn't have. And it would have been like, okay, I'll, I'll find somewhere to go. I don't, I don't know. I can't really speak to what it would be like. Cause I don't know if that's not how it happened. But, um, so I have this church that I'm going to and you know, my parents are like, how was it? You know, do you like it? And I was like, yeah. And it's just like an old country church, like pretty the piano, like not a, really a praise team, like not instrumental, like preacher gets up, does the whole shebang type of thing. And it was great. And so I went every Sunday that I could that I didn't have practice or anything like that. Because you played, so for Graceland, you played basketball, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you're traveled quite a bit. Quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I still, that expectation was still there for me in college. And I'm not going to say there weren't days and weekends that I missed, but like for the most part, like I was there. And again, I carried on this expectation and my friends in college were like, oh, Avery's getting up to go to church after a long Saturday night. And I was like, yes, I am. So I would go and I would come back and I would sleep here after Sunday until practice. And so I think 
I don't know if I answered all of that question. So yeah, you, yeah. Just talking about how, you know, in college, what it kind of looked like for you. So then you started to take it a little bit more seriously. And I know in earlier we had talked and you had said that, you know, I came to this realization that I needed to make it, I mean, to do it. So yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that too? It started to kind of hit me more toward like towards the end of my senior year. So, I mean, I went all college, just kind of, again, going through the motions and just getting up and going to church on Sunday and doing whatever I wanted to do during the week, getting up, going to church on Sunday. Because, I mean, I had so much, way more freedom. I mean, outside of the fact that I had a basketball schedule and a school schedule to keep me in line, like, I I mean, we're college kids, so, like, we're, and we're human, so we're going to do things that we want to do when we want to do them, whether it's productive or unproductive. And so it started about the, the end of my senior year, I started to kind of, like, feel that, like, guilty conscience of, like, okay, I'm a huge hypocrite, stealing that like hypocritical type of feelings. Like here I am on Sundays, praising Jesus, thanking him for all the good things that I have. And then during the week, it's like, what am I showing people about me? That's, that's Christ-like that makes me different from anybody else. I mean, as Christians and as people of faith, we're called to be different and we're called to stand out. And I, that I was not doing that, at least not in the way that I thought I should have been. So my grandpa passed away when, um, I had just graduated college. So this kind of started to transition into to this huge, like life-changing moment for me is we were um, singing is a big thing in my family. I'm not musically talented, but like I'll, if they need me to sing, I'll get up there and do it. Um, and so my cousins and I, my grandpa, anytime we were together for the holidays, always wanted us to sing a special number at church. And sometimes it was the same song, sometimes it was different. And so when he passed away, my grandma really wanted all seven of us to get up there and sing this song that he just loved to, to hear us sing. And it, I know you had said you'd heard it. It's called thank you for giving to like, thank you for giving to the Lord. And so um, the lyrics in it is like, thank you for giving to the Lord because I was a life that was changed or I was a life that was saved or some, or some other versions. And so I remember standing up there and singing those lyrics. And I was like, it was kind of like one of those moments where it's, what are people going to say about me at my funeral type of thing? Because everything we were saying about him and everything everybody had said about him was so accurate and so true. And you couldn't argue with the fact that he was a true servant of the Lord and that he was gracious and he was generous and that he had a little bit of a temper, but like he was who he was through and through. And people knew that there were no secrets. There were no, I mean, he just was who he was. And so it kind of hit me was like, am I going to like, if I die, like people are going to come to my funeral and they're going to come up here and say like, you know, I was a woman of faith and I did, and I trusted Jesus and I love Jesus and I did all these things. But then there's going to be people in the crowd. They're like, eh, I knew her a little bit better than that. And it's like that for some reason, it just like struck me. And I was like, that is not what I want. Like, I want people to remember me for like, like my grandpa was remembered and there'd be no question about it. And so that was a huge, huge moment in my life right at the end of my college career where I was like, I got to do something like there's more to this somewhere. Well, and I think that as a young adult, I think the church, the Christian church has done a disservice, I think, to young people um, and young women in not creating relationships like like older women creating relationships with younger women in order to... um, kind of provide extra support. So not necessarily having the feeling of like, oh, I need to be accountable to, you know, my parents or, um, you know, helping, helping young women or young men come to that realization that you came to at your grandfather's funeral a little bit earlier, because I think, you know, when you real, when you, when you know that your life is different than those around you, it can kind of feel lame, (laughs) real lame and, um, not so much fun, but having women who invest in the younger generation of women, I think is really critical. And I don't think, I know that lots of women in the church have taken on that role and I have, I'm thankful to have women in my life. And I know that we were just talking that you also have a woman in your life who isn't your mom, but you know, has taken on that role for you. I think, but as, as a, as a church itself, we've kind of done a disservice to the younger generation of women uh, by not 
you know, meaningfully connect, create those connections. So can you talk a little bit about maybe the, the women in your life who have been solid figures for you to follow? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I was, I'm very fortunate to grow up in a family that great role models, people that I can run to about anything. I have three, I have two awesome aunts and then I have my mom, but I also have my grandma who is just the most wonderful human on the planet. But I think for me in the church, if I set aside like the family that I had growing up, my church did this thing called prayer prayer warriors. And so each kid in the church was assigned a prayer warrior. And so I was assigned a lady named Cheryl um, and she was marvelous. She was awesome. Um, And she was much, much older than me. And so she was responsible for praying for me, just checking in on me, types of things like that. And her and I had a really awesome relationship. And when she passed away, it was really, really hard for me. I actually made the decision the year after she passed away is when I decided that I was going to be baptized and like give my life to Christ and like year to the date. Like she died on March 13th. Like I got baptized a year later on March 13th. And so she had a really profound impact on me um, in that way. But we were, I mean, in age, we were worlds apart. And so that relationship was a little bit different than the relationship that I had with like my youth group leader, who most of you guys know, if you're listening, Sarah Ziegler was my youth group leader and her and I, she's known me since I was just a little, a little kid. And so her and I had a great relationship and I knew that I could go to her about anything and everything. And she would just love me till the end of the days. She would call me out hardcore because that's just her, who she is. Like she doesn't mess around. But like, I knew that I could go to her about anything and everything. Now, would I have? Probably not. But I knew that I had that there if I needed to. Um, And I think why I say I wouldn't have is because I think one thing that the church also does a disservice to and with with youth, um, especially women, is like, there are no rooms for mistakes. Like, and if you make a mistake, it's hard to tell what you're going to get out of people. You know what I mean? It's not oh, honey, like, okay, let's talk about it. Like, how can we have done that differently? Or how, how is this going to affect you now? Like, what's the consequence like? Like, let me talk, let me show you scripture or a story where someone did the same thing in the Bible. And like, we are sinful people and it is, it's, it is okay. But now you have to handle the consequences. It was more like kids, I think kids so much growing up in the faith think, they have to keep things to themselves because they don't want to see like, they don't want to seem imperfect and they don't want to seem like they're messing up because that's wrong. But it, well, and what will the backlash be? What's my punishment going to be? It's much more reactive than proactive. It feels like. Look at me. Like when I go to church, like, okay, think of this is a, an extreme example, but like you think of a teenage girl that gets pregnant out of wedlock and then they have to go to church every Sunday. Like how are people going to act towards me? That's church trauma. That's church hurt. Like, and like, if I, which is real, yeah, it was just so real. And like, if that were to happen, like if that would have happened to me and I would have gone to church and people would have like turned their nose up at me and they wouldn't have said anything. They never would have asked me how I was doing, like checked in on me. That's trauma that can turn people away from the church so fast. And so I think too, a huge disservice that we do is we obviously don't want kids to go out or pe- people in general to go out and make decisions and be like, ah, Jesus loves me. It's all right. I'll ask them for forgiveness later. But like, if we are tempted and we make a mistake to know that like, okay, we're human. Like that's, that's a thing. Like God knows we're going to do that. We don't want to do it all the time. But like, and so I think, I think that's a huge, huge disservice because people don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about the mistakes that they make and that, that doesn't get us anywhere. Well, and yeah, it can, like you said, the church is run by humans (laughs) and more than anything we because we are humans it's we're gonna make mistakes and which is like you said which is how people experience you know trauma in the church um it's because of people who who create that it's it's not from god so yeah i like that you talked about that because that's so true trauma is a real thing and the church as a body I mean, isn't perfect at all by any means. And so it can definitely cause some real rifts in relationships and families. Um, but again, that is, that is the church, not, not God, period. Right. I like how you like said that. Like, I think it's important to have the distinction, like that, like that doesn't come from God. Like all good things come from God, like the hurt and the pain and the 
trauma and all of that stuff that goes wrong in the church like that's because we're sinful people and that's straight from that's straight from us and that's not I think sometimes people think well I had a really bad experience with church and and blame God for it and it's like no that's that's just that's humanity like that's gonna be that's gonna be everywhere mm-hmm. and so yeah and I like how you made that distinction I think that's really important yeah that people people are the ones that are to blame for the bad experiences yeah. for sure so then how do you as a believer um who is who you know believes in Jesus Christ how do you then relate to other people who have different worldviews than you I thought about this question a lot when you'd asked me originally, because I was like, I don't know. I don't, right. I couldn't come up with an answer off the top of my head. And so I really had to kind of reflect on it. And I think the best way that I can come up, if I can pinpoint something in my life that's really helped me to, to relate to other people is I just have to show them love. Like I know Jesus would, because like, you know, we talked about this when we talked last was like, Jesus didn't hang out with the kings and the queens and the princesses and the the hoity-toity rich people that had it all, like, seemed to have it all together. Like, he hung out with the lepers and the tax collectors and all the people that people hated. Those were the people that he were around, was around. And so, not saying that people with different worldviews and different theology are are those that are hated, but like, sorry, that, <laughs> right. that kind of came off bad, but like, <laughs> no, but people that were perceived different than him and different than the norm and outside of the cultural norm that they were living in. And I just, I, he, he just loved them all the same and he had, that's how he impacted them. Um, and so I don't know, have you, you, you know who Bob Goff is, right? I do. Yeah. They were big Bob Goff fans in, in my house, but my, my husband, this is kind of a short story. He's a very cynical by nature, does not trust people in, hardly at all. It takes a lot for him. And so when he read, he read Bob Goff's books, Love Does and Everybody Always, it like changed his life. And so we'll often say to ourselves, like, and if you, those of you listening, if you haven't read those books, I highly, highly, highly recommend them. Um, they're just about loving people and how, how you do that God's way and how you can show God's love to people. And so if, if I catch him complaining or um, being cynical about something, or he catches me complaining or just anything negative about a person and a choice that they made or whatever, he'll be like, love everybody always. And I'm like, you stop saying that. But like, he'll, (laughs) he'll hold me accountable because he's like, it's, it's essentially like, what would Jesus do? But like, show love to them and listen and so yeah no matter what worldview people have it doesn't matter like god didn't care what worldviews people had uh he just was there to love so i like that avery i like that and i think too we're fortunate like you know we have like the holy spirit works through us all the time and so sometimes i think as christians we think we have to do more than we actually do and so sometimes we just have to show up and just let God do the work. And I think that's a big part of it too, is, you know, if, if, if God wants to work through that person through me, then what I need to do is I need to love them and I just need to show up and I need to be the best version of me and the best version of Christ that I can. And God's, God's going to do the rest of the work. So, yeah. Yeah. So what are you most passionate about uh, regarding the issue of people making their relationship with Jesus personal? I think I'm most passionate about this because I'm not perfect at all. (laughs) You know, like I make my mistakes and I realized quickly that you don't truly know the greatness of Jesus and all that he has done for us until you build a personal relationship with him. And so for me, when I decided to, to make my relationship personal and, you know, do what I needed to do and what I wanted it to look like, I started to realize that, wow, like the magnitude of his sacrifice is so much more than, than anything that I had ever, ever realized. And so, and I think that's because I, I've taken the time and I've been intentional with the fact that this is what, this is a relationship that I need in my life from him. I sit down and I talk to him and I'm like, this is what I need. This is what I want. This is what I want this to look like. And it's hard. It's not, it is not easy in the slightest. Like I'm, 
three, three and a half years in and it's not, it's not perfect. It's not, I mean, there'll be days where I'll go days without praying or talking to him. And I notice in my life, like I become more anxious, I become more stressed, I become more worried. And so I think I'm, I'm most passionate about it because the more personal I make it and the more intentional I am with it, the more I just realize how much, how good he is and how gracious he is and how much his sacrifice was really worth on the cross. And so I think when you make that decision and you move kind of from the facts of, of the Bible to really making it personal, it just, it changes your, it changes your life. It changes your worldview and it changes how you connect with people too. Speaking of like how to connect with people, I'm thinking about the last thing that we talked about, which was, you know, connecting with people who might have different worldviews than we do. There was a minister who, who was a female. Um, I, I'm spacing on her name. I'll have to look it up. But she talked about being a backdoor Christian, meaning that, you know, are you familiar with that? Have you heard that before? I've heard the, I've heard the phrase. Yeah. Okay. So like being a backdoor Christian would, you know, be Christians get a bad name all the time because they, from, from the bad ones, from the bad Christians who are super judgmental and like hoity-toity. And, but like you said, um, Jesus was love. And so I think providing like being a backdoor Christian or, you know, instead of being at the front door, condemning people for all the wrong choices that they're making instead, instead just being at the, at the back door where they come, where people come out and they're hurt and they're crying and, you know, they're in a lot of pain um, and being the person that is there for them when they feel alone or neglected or completely isolated. So I love that you, you essentially are talking about just that. So being, being the person, no matter what worldview you have, your goal is to just simply love and that's it because that's what we're called to do. And like you said, let God take care of the rest. It is God through believers who makes the difference. It's not us. And I just thought that would be important to share is like that being that backdoor Christian for people and not condemning or, you know, being, being a safe person for sure. And you can be, I mean, you can be as per as perfect or be perceived as perfect as you want to be. You can, and it's like, you can donate as much money as you want. You can do all these things, but like, if you don't love, like, it's like that song in that verse, like, if you don't love, like you are just a clanging symbol. Like you are not like, there's no, there's no merit. That's the perfect, that is the perfect way to describe so many Christians today. Y'all are just clanging symbols. Just zip it for real. Because all you're doing is making a bad name for, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. absolutely. Okay. I love that. Were you going to say something? I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say the people that, that like are the clanging symbols, like it frustrates me that that's people's vision of Christianity a lot of times. And then people that are just so like just outpouring of Christ's love and they just sit and they listen or they're just there. They, they're just helpful. They take food to the poor or, you know, like we were just talking about, like you take, you take dinner to a new mom on a, on a Tuesday night, or you just do all of these things. And like, you're doing it in the name of Jesus. And like, you want, you want that recognition, but like you, for him, but like, for an outsider's perspective, it's like, man, she's just a really awesome person. But there's no connection to Christianity because they're in their mind, the, Christ, the Christians are the clanging symbols that are getting me so angry right now in the world. But in real life, like, it's, it's the opposite. Like, it's the people who are like kind of fly under the radar, yet quietly serving. And that, it frustrates quietly me because serving. I want yeah. people to know, I want people to recognize more that that's that's true christianity and that's true love like jesus are those people that are doing it so quietly and so silently and and the world doesn't recognize that right right away oh avery lots of wonderful bits of information you are providing and this is this is wonderful so okay my last couple questions so then avery what would your advice be to young people who are realizing that like, oh crap, I'm kind of living a double standard or a double life here. What would your encouragement be to him or her? I think you have to find what about your life you are not happy with. So what aspects, what choices are you making that you're like in your gut is like, I want to be done with this and I want, I need to walk away from these choices or these relationships or whatever. And once you make that decision, 
and you know that, okay, now I want to make the steps towards developing more of a relationship with Christ, you kind of just, it's, it's like a trial and error type of thing. Like for me, it wasn't like, okay, I want to pray every morning. I want to pray every night. I want to do my devotional for an hour a day. Like I want to be in the, like, I mean, in my mind, I had a vision of what I eventually wanted my routine and like my intentionality with Jesus to look like, but it was so much trial and error for me. It was, it's kind of hard to describe, but like I found a church that I love. I like cry sometimes on Sundays when we can't go because we're out of town or because I just love it. I love the people so much. I love the messages that I get every week and it, and it really fuels me moving forward. And so you just have to find a church that you love and then start trying things. Just, it could be as simple as like, just like saying like, okay, God, like, can you kind of help me figure out what, what my first step is? And then just listen and just wait for like subtle signs or, or things where you're like, okay, I think I'm going to pull out my Bible today and see where it takes me. And so for me, it was, I started listening to like, I kind of changed the music that I listened to. Like, I mean, I still love pop culture music and country music and things like that. But like the majority of time, like you get into either mine or my husband's car, if it's not on sports talk radio, it's like, we're listening to like the Christian radio station. And so I started kind of flooding my mind with like just a different message than the world. And so then it led to, I was listening to Christian podcasts. So I listened to Proverbs 31 podcasts a lot. And then I got a devotional that I started writing in. And then I started journaling my prayers instead of speaking them because speaking them was really, really hard for me. And it just never seemed to come out right. And so it was a lot of trial and error, but I think you have to, you have to hold yourself accountable first and figure out what it is you want to change about your life. Make sure you have a good support system, find a good church and just ask God what it is you want, he want you want from him and he'll provide for you. I like that you talked about um, journaling your prayers instead of saying them out loud, because I feel like so many people are like, especially they're like, I don't know how to pray and it needs to sound like this. But if you're journaling it and you're writing it down, I mean, that's, it seems a little bit safer. So I like that. So then, okay. So my last question, Avery, is what would your advice be as a support person to someone who is ready to make their decision to, you know, follow Jesus wholeheartedly? You have to be vulnerable. I think, I think too often when we dive all the way into things, we're afraid that we're making a mistake or that it's going to be too difficult or we don't want people to see us struggle. And I think too often in the church that struggle is hidden. And so my advice to someone who is making this decision to, to dive all in and buy into this relationship with Christ is you, you have to be vulnerable. Like you have to be willing to struggle. And I'm not necessarily saying struggle in, in, in public and like broadcast it to the whole world because it's a very private and personal thing. But like you have to have someone that you can confide in and struggle and struggle through it with. Like it can't be a hidden a hidden secret that things are tough for you because this is another thing too like as soon as you make that decision to follow Christ and do that like the devil is knocking on your door like things get a hundred times more difficult for you because like he's lost one more person to Christ and so when you have kind of sworn off Jesus and you're like eh, it is what it is Satan's not worried about you. Like he has you right where he wants you. And so as soon as you start making those steps towards Christ, like it's, it's not uncommon for life to become a little bit more difficult and you to doubt yourself more and get more anxious and more stressed. That's just the devil working against everything that, that God stands for. And so you have to be willing to be vulnerable and be open with someone and connect and connect with someone and kind of find a partner in, in this journey, because it's, it's tough. Absolutely. It is. It's a, it is a tough journey. It's not all rainbow sunshine, unicorns and flowers. Well, we got to get away from the per, the ideal, like pristine Christianity model, because that's not helping anybody. It doesn't exist. Like, yeah. Not, it doesn't even exist. Yeah, yeah. You know you're right. It doesn't exist and it doesn't help anybody. So. Right. Yeah. It's truth. Truth. Okay. So Avery, is there anything else that you want to leave listeners with? You've done such a great job of sharing your journey and faith. What else do you have to a little tidbit for the end here? I think something just to add would be that I noticed a huge shift 
in my thinking when my accountability changed. Um, and so when I was more accountable to like the expectations of God and Jesus and the Bible and more worried about them rather than worried about pleasing my parents or what were my parents going to think or what are other people going to think. And I think that was a huge shift in this direction for me. And I think that happened when, you know, I had a really tough conversation with a friend one time and she just straight up asked me, she goes, you know, are we talking about this because that's what your parents believe? Or are we talking about this because this is what you truly believe? And I was like, holy cow, okay, thank you for kind of putting me in my place. And so at that moment, I was like, okay, I need to find out if this is what I truly want and how I truly feel, or if it's just something that I'm holding on to from being raised in the faith. And so I think accountability shifted for me from other people, specifically my parents or my, my church family or things like that to what does God actually want from me? What does he say? I need to be more concerned about what he thinks rather than other people. Yeah. Avery, thank you so much. That's such wisdom from a soon to be mom who will probably be a mom by the time this airs. I hope so for your sake. Yeah. So Avery, good luck to you on your new adventure of motherhood. And if that doesn't bring you closer to Jesus, I don't know what will, but yeah. So thank you so much for being here. I've so appreciated hearing and listening to your story. So I will go ahead and put Avery's Instagram handle in the notes. So if you have any questions or um, maybe you're new to uh, the Christian faith, or you want to just talk with someone who could empathize with you a little bit, Avery is your girl. So thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Bee Podcast. Please make certain that you tune in next time. See you later, guys. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode and this season's final interview for the year 2020. We'll be back with more real stories told by real women in February of 2021. My sincerest gratitude for your support in molding this dream into a reality. Join us on Facebook and Instagram to make certain not to miss the reveal and release of the Bee Podcast Season 2. Show us some love and rate and review our pod so that all women everywhere can find us, be encouraged, and be inspired. The more ratings and reviews we have, the more all women everywhere can find us. I'll see you next year for a brand new season of our pod. Signing off for the last time this year, I'm Kemi Milliken, and this has been The Bee Podcast.